You're listening to RUF at UT Podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. this way, if you have a sheet of paper in front of you, we're going to look at a brief passage from 2 Kings tonight, um, chapter 5, or if you have your handout, you can look up uh, on here as well. Um, While you're flipping there, I I I was going to tell you a story about one of my friends who, um, I think his uh, cousin lived in New York City. Uh, got a job there in Manhattan. This was like in 2004. And when she first got to town, uh, she didn't have a whole lot going on. So she did what y'all probably would have done, which was just hang out in a coffee shop. So she went and kind of posted up at a coffee shop. And um, cute guy walks up to her, starts talking to her. And, you know, this was kind of whole new territory for her, for this man to be speaking with her. And so they strike up this conversation. He eventually asks her out. Uh, she declines because she was uh, nervous. You know, she'd been in Manhattan for like two days, and here's this dude asking her out. So she declines, and then uh, later that day, you know, he leaves. She goes about her day, walks down the street, and sees his face on a billboard on, you know, in the street. His face advertising a new TV show that was coming out called Lost. This was uh, Matthew Fox, who would play Jack Shepard, that was asking her out. And now she's thinking, if I had just known, if I had just known who this dude was, I would not have turned him down. And so the reason uh, I want to begin that way is because how you respond to people, how you react to people, radically changes on whether or not you know them. And uh, I think that, that applies to RUF as well. How you respond to RUF, how you respond to this group uh, is going to change whether or not you kind of know who we are and what we're about. So all I want to do tonight is really just look at this passage from 2 Kings and use it to talk about kind of who we are, what we're about, what we do, so that you have a, a, basically a, a more informed decision on whether or not you want to be a part of this community or not. So that's all we're going to do. We're just going to start out the semester this way before classes get started, and let me just introduce you to who we are in RU. So I'm going to read this passage, and then we'll look at it briefly. Cool? 2 Kings 5, I'll begin in verse 1. It says this. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see now he is seeking a quarrel with me. 
Okay, so just hit pause. Here's this dude named Naaman. He's got leprosy. Someone told him he could get healing in this place called Israel. So he goes to the king of Israel to get healing. The king says, I can't help you, bro. And so he sends him to somebody else. Let's keep going to verse 8. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So, Naaman is told by this prophet, go wash in this river called the Jordan seven times and the leprosy will be cured. Verse 11, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. This is God's word for us to consider tonight. If you would, let me pray, and then we'll just look at it briefly together. Cool. Father, thank you um, for this chance to be together tonight. I pray that um, you would encourage us from this, your word. Even if, even if we're talking about RUF, I pray that you would use this passage to encourage us and to point us to Jesus. There are a lot of folks in this room that uh, probably... Um, uh, feel all kinds of uh, feelings of being overwhelmed and a sense of just a lot of newness. I feel out of place. I don't know if I belong. And uh, I pray, Father, wherever people find themselves as they came through this door tonight, I pray that they would leave uh, encouraged to know that this is a uh, safe place for them and that you deeply, deeply care about the details of their lives. Uh, would you remind us of these truths? Would you show us these truths perhaps for the first time? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I keep messing with this mic. It's just not to my liking. So here's, uh, here's what I want to do tonight. I just want to talk about three quick things uh, as far as what RUF is and what we're about. Who we are, what we do, and what we want to see happen. So those are the three, three kind of big ideas. There's the roadmap of what we're going to talk about tonight. Who we are as a community, what we do in the midst of this community, and then what we want to see happen in your life and in mine. First, who are we? And I want to draw your attention back to this dude named Naaman and look at the description of him in verse 1. Here's what it says about him. He's the commander of the army, a great man, says he's a mighty man of valor, which, does, which means that this dude named Naaman was extremely accomplished. He was a military general, successful, he was wealthy, he, he, was, uh, he had everything going for him, he had access to tons of resources. This is the dude, by the way, from MUS, or from CPA, or from Macaulay, or from uh, Webb, and uh, 
he was the valedictorian and the prom king and the high school, you know, he's the quarterback, and he came to UT, and he's a Haslam scholar, and uh, he's in GLS, and he's the president of the Kappa Sigs, and he, um, uh, you know, he, his team has won intramurals for the past few years in like four different sports, like he's been hired by uh, PWC his junior year, like he's just crushing it in life, like he's that dude, this is Naaman. But what else do we learn about this dude? At the end of verse 1, it says that he's sick. He's got leprosy, which if you know anything about leprosy, it was a skin disease where literally your skin would rot off, body parts would fall off. It was just he was rotting from the inside out. And Naaman is a graphic picture of everyone in this room. That everyone in this room is accomplished and successful. I mean, you would not be at UT if you weren't accomplished and successful. Everyone in this room is wealthy by global standards. I mean, by, by the standards of the you know, rest of the world, we're like in the top percent. Uh, we're wealthy, we're accomplished, we're successful, but the Bible says that everyone in this room is also sick on the inside, that our heart has been infected with this thing called sin, which is basically just a way of saying that you love yourself way more than you love God and other people. It's true of me, too. And that's why everyone in this room on the insides were filled with anger and jealousy and resentment and bitterness and greed and lust. And we feel entitled to things. Like, that's why we're all a mess, because we have this thing on the inside of us called sin. This is not me scolding you or shaming you. I'm saying I'm with you in this way. Uh, one of my good friends did uh, insurance. He worked for an insurance company and did house appraisals. And so he would drive around and kind of appraise different houses. And he told me about this one house that he appraised that was uh, a foreclosure in North Carolina. It was this uh, in the country of North Carolina. And, you know, you're driving on this main road. And he said that the estate on this house was so big and the house was so ginormous, he had to take, like, you know, its own road just to get to the house. And so as he turns off the main road and goes down the road just to get to this house, he just sees this is just a, you know, complex. It's an e enormous house, 16,000 square feet. As they get up to it, you know, it's beautiful, it's decorated. When they go inside, it gets instantly creepy, because there was nothing on the inside. It was completely gutted. No hardwood floors, no drywall, no insulation, no appliances, no pipes, no rocks and stones around the fireplace. It was just like this wooden skeletal frame, this shell of a house. And they found out the story behind it that the person who owned the house was a NASCAR driver that got addicted to meth and lost his contract with NASCAR, and so his money started bleeding out. And so when he ran out of money, what he started to do is he started stripping his house and selling it, selling off the parts of his house for money, for drugs. And so literally everything, stripped, bone, bare, gutted on the inside out. And that is a pretty graphic picture of Naaman, and that's a pretty graphic picture of you and me. Decorated on the outside, accomplished on the outside, inside, rotten, gutted, empty. This is depressing. What does this mean about who we are in RUF? Here's what this means about who we are. That we're a community that's not afraid to admit that we're sick. 
that we talk about it a lot, that we mess up, that we screw up, that we have baggage, that we have struggles, that this is a place where we're open and honest about our need for Jesus. And so let me just be clear on the front end, this is not a Christian club, because certainly not everybody in this room right now is a Christian. There are lots of people that will come through this door and sit in these chairs that really could care less about Jesus and could care less about the Bible, or maybe are exploring and don't know what they think about the Bible. So the thing that unites us together is not our faith in Jesus. The thing that unites this community together is our need for Jesus, that we all desperately need him. And so we want this to be an open, safe environment where you can come through and don't need to feel like you have to smile and put on a show and button up and pretend to be all together when you know deep down that you're really not. We want this to be a safe place where you can come if you have doubts, if you struggle, if you have pain, if you have baggage, where you can find a place that is warm and inviting and meets you with grace and kindness. And, side note, I think a community that's honest like that is actually where you can form the, the, the best friendships. My closest friendships that I have to this day are guys that I met in RUF when I was a student uh, at the University of Oklahoma coming through 15 years ago or so. I still keep up with those guys because I met them in an environment where you could be yourself, flaws and all, and be known and loved. And, other side note, I think when people actually know you and there's an environment of uh, honesty, you can actually have the most fun. And what we like to do in RUF is have fun a lot. So we hang out a lot. We enjoy each other. We eat a lot. We go on hikes. We have these dances. We have these conferences. We have bonfires. Like we love to hang out and enjoy each other and have fun. So that's, you know, in a, in a nutshell, who we are, we're a community of people that joyfully need Jesus. Secondly, what do we do? What does that look like in, like, kind of how this thing functions? Well, let me draw your attention back to the story. Naaman, this dude, goes to this place called Israel, and in verse 10, he is told that his, he would be cured of his leprosy if he goes into that river called Jordan and washes seven times. And if you notice his reaction in verse 11, deeply offended, angry, do not like that prescription. Why? From what I can tell, there's at least two reasons why he was so offended by that. Here's the first reason why he was offended. is because that solution was too ordinary. It was too ordinary. If you look at verse 12, he says, the Jordan River isn't special. He says, I know of a lot of better rivers that are bigger and better, that would be better for me to wash in. Those were those weird words, far par and the other one, right? So he's saying, there's nothing special about this river. And what we learn is that real healing and real transformation happens in Ordinary ways and in ordinary simple places. And he hates that because he thinks transformation should happen in the big places. And I think college students are a lot like him. I've been around college students for a long time and uh, my read on y'all, maybe I'm wrong, you can correct me afterward, is that college students think that the moments in life where you experience real transformation and real healing, where you really change as a person, the big, awesome, incredible splashy, intense, exclamation point moments of life. This is why you all want to have a romantic relationship that looks like Hollywood. Uh, You all want to study abroad in Europe. You all want six-figure salaries when you graduate. Uh, You all want intense, you know, emotional, spiritual experiences. And uh, you all want to solve a problem in a third-world country. And... Is that wrong? Is any of that stuff wrong or bad? No. All that stuff is, by definition, awesome. 
Those are awesome exclamation points. But you know what happens when, when you have the exclamation point moment. You get it, and it evaporates, and it just leaves you one in another one. And maybe you've begun to already experience this. Some of you freshmen, you came to UT, and even getting into UT was perhaps like the exclamation point moment. Like, I'm here, I'm here. And you get here, and you move into your shoebox of a dorm, and you're like, exclamation point's over. (laughs) Unless they moved you into Fred Brown, and that's actually better than the house you grew up in, and you (laughs) upgraded coming to college. You know, or for some of you, um, maybe a big exclamation point for you was just going through recruitment and uh, landing in a sorority or potentially landing in a fraternity, and that's a real exciting exclamation point for you. Like, these are my people. I've got a place. It's fun. But what happens to so many folks is by your junior year, so many folks in the Greek system either drop out or are just not as involved. Don't believe me? Talk to the upperclassmen. Those, ex- those exclamation points evaporate and just leave you wanting another one. But what we really do believe in RUF is that real transformation is found in sort of the, the, just the ordinary, simple places in life. Give you an example. Uh, one of our students last year was really struggling, really wrestling with Christianity. It's like, you, you know, she would read the Bible and hear me talk and be like, this stuff sounds crazy. What we believe is nuts. Like, this makes no sense. I'm scientific. I'm philosophical. Help me understand this. And so she was sharing this with one of our other students. And this other student just said, hey, let's grab coffee and talk about it. And so they would meet weekly and have coffee and process and talk about life. And there's nothing flashy or intense or exciting about that. It was extremely ordinary. Two people grabbing coffee. And that... Just that act of saying, let's grab coffee. I want to hear your questions. Brought about healing and a real clarity in this other person's life. So what we do in RUF, we want to be a community of people that attempt to love and to heal the broken places on this campus in really simple, ordinary ways. To be a community of people that uses our mental bandwidth to try to remember a name. That's really boring and ordinary. We want to be a community of people that like, I don't know, hang out and like sit around the Bible together. That's kind of boring and ordinary. We want to be people that share meals with each other and listen to each other's stories. None of that, I mean, that will get zero likes on Instagram. That's boring and ordinary stuff, and yet the Bible seems to say over and over, that's where transformation happens and the simple, ordinary things of life. That's why Naaman's so upset, because it's too ordinary. But the other reason why he's so upset is because going and washing some river, it's just too easy. It's too easy. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, But the servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Here's where I get to uh, prove that I went to seminary. The Hebrew of this verse actually says, uh, He has asked you to do no great thing. What he's saying is going and washing in a river, it's not a great thing. And the you know, commander, the military general, is told you can be healed if you go wash in a river. And what he's expecting is some great accomplishment he has to go out and do. Like, you will be healed if you bring back the head of a lion that you've you know, slaughtered with your bare hands. And Naaman would have thought, game on. I can do that. That makes sense to me. But to be told... Go and wash in a river, he's thinking, anyone can do that. Like, do you not know who I am? 
that implies that I'm no different from anybody else. Like, old ladies can go wash in rivers. Children can go wash in rivers. I'm a general. It's too easy. It's not a great thing because he thinks the way that you connect with God, the way that you get healing, the way that you get transformation is by doing something. Doing something big. And I I think if we're honest, there's a lot of people in this room that think that that's what Christianity is. You want to be a Christian? Here's what that means. You do some stuff. You get real busy. You, uh, you want to be a Christian? That means you sign up and start, start serving in a ministry. And you've got to be really radical and sold out and intense. And you've got to, when you worship, it's got to really feel deeply inside of you. And you've got to read the Bible every day and journal. And you've got to stop cussing. And you've got to stop drinking. And you've got to stop sleeping around. And if you do all of that, then maybe God will answer your prayers and like you and bless you and... That's, that's how it works. God relates to you on the basis of your merit. That's what we think. And it's easy to think that's what we think because that's how everybody thinks. I mean, that's how society functions. You got into UT based off of your merit, right? You didn't just get here because they're just passing out free acceptance to anybody. You got here because of your GPA and your test scores and your resume and your accomplishments. You get hired in a job because you have accomplishments. You have merit, um, every other religion thinks this way. You want to go to heaven, you want to go to nirvana, you want to go to paradise, do all this stuff. And if you do it well enough, then you'll get to go there. This is how just our culture functions at large, just our secular American culture. You want to be a good person, you'll be a good person based off of your merit. And the way that we define merit now is you got to recycle, you can't smoke, uh, you, you can't be a bigot, uh, you must eat organic foods, and don't you dare eat at McDonald's. That, that are the, that's the qualifications for being a good person now. Um, y'all seen these uh, YouTube videos by Jimmy Kimmel uh, where, he, where he makes parents play this horrible prank on their children? Maybe y'all seen it. If you, if you haven't seen it, what he does is the day after Halloween, where the kids have gone out and have truckloads of candy... He makes them put a video camera up to the kid's face and then start recording and say, Honey, I just want to tell you, last night while you were sleeping, I ate all of your Halloween candy. And the, rea- I mean, the reactions, you find out in America there are a lot of brats all over this country. Because children will just panic and stomp and push over furniture, cuss out their parents. They will just go ballistic. One, one of my favorite was this girl who was so offended that, that she gave this very serious, rational explanation for why, she, why this was so wrong. And what she did is she looked at her parents and said, this is not fair. I am the one that dressed up. And I am the one that walked around our neighborhood for two hours. And you're the one that ate all the candy. I mean, it's this, it's this thing inside of her screaming out, this isn't fair. I should be related to on the basis of what I've done. I mean, you understand this. Every one of us says, I need to be related to on the basis of what I have done. And when it doesn't play out that way, not fair. This is why for some of you guys, uh, you will study and study and study and get a C and your classmate will look at his notes for six seconds before the class and get an A and you're like, not fair! (laughs) Or for some of you, you're like, 
I do everything right. I make all the right decisions. I'm doing everything right, and my family is falling apart, and here's this girl that has gone wild when she got to college, and her family is perfect and give her everything. Not fair. We all deep down think I need to be related to on the basis of my merit. That's what Naaman thinks. That's what you think. That's what I think. And God looks at us and says, I don't relate to people like that. I relate to people by grace. If you want to connect with me, you have to connect with me in the way that everyone connects with me. Because you're all the same. We're all equal. Everyone's dirty. Everyone's a mess. And therefore, anyone can wash. And if you know yourself to be a mess, that is deeply good news. Because the good news of the gospel is God doesn't relate to you on the basis of what you've done. He actually takes what you've done and all of your baggage and all the good stuff that you haven't done and he puts it on Jesus and Jesus gets crushed for it on the cross. And then when we come to Jesus by faith, God takes what Jesus has done, his perfect life, the way he perfectly loved God and loved other people and he puts it on us. And he says, I will therefore not relate to you on the basis of what you've done. I'll relate to you on the basis of what Jesus has done in your place. That's what grace is. And so what that means for what we do in RUF, that just means we talk about the gospel all the time. Because that's all we have. That's all we got to offer you. That's our only hope, is the grace of God. It's the only thing that will heal you. It's the only thing that will free you. And so we want the gospel to be like a bag of tea. That when you put it in the water of this thing called RUF, it just colors and flavors everything that we do. So that's what we do. We talk about the grace of God over and over and over and over because we need it. And as soon as we walk out that door, we forget it. That's who we are. That's what we do. And then I'll be really brief on this last thing. Uh, What we want. What we want to see happen in your life and in mine. And we'll just look back at Naaman really quickly. Um, If he goes into the water... He does his little thing seven times, and he comes out, and he's healed. He's restored, and his life instantly changes. Look at how his relationship with God changes. Verse 15, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This is a massive shift in the way that he thinks about the world. He would have been a polytheist, which means he saw the universe as being influenced by all kinds of different gods, and he stands up and says, there's only one. And it's the God of the Bible. The way that he sees reality got restructured. And what we want to see happen in your life and in my life is that it's not just for you to have an emotional experience. I mean, you can have an emotional experience with anything. I've had tons of emotional experiences with donuts. And um, (laughs) you can have an emotional experience with anything. We don't just want you to emotionally connect with God, but to change the way that you see reality as a result of his influence in your life. To, say, to, to change the way that you see your parents. To change the way that you see exercise. To change the way that you see vocation and food and alcohol and culture and dating. Like everything changes when you connect with the grace of God. His relationship with God changes, and notice his relationship with other people changes. If you look at verse uh, 15 at the very end, it says, Except now a present from your servant. If you jump back up to verse 5, the reason what's going on there is he showed up to get this healing with all this stuff. He said he had all these shekels and changes of clothes because he was going to essentially buy off his healing. 
And when he gets the healing, he still has all this stuff. And it's kind of like he got what he came for for free. And he still gets to keep all of his stuff. But rather than keep it all, he gives it away. He didn't have to. He, he, had, it came for, he got what he came for. He was healed. And he still has all of his stuff. And instead, he gives it away. His relationship with other people changes. And we want an RUF, when you come through the store and kind of drink in the gospel of grace, your relationship with people starts to change. You no longer relate to them as people that, you, that can benefit you. You relate to them as people that you can serve, that you can lay down your life for. The reason why we do RUF is not to make RUF great. <coughs> We're not that great. We're not that impressed with ourselves, and we don't think you will be either. We're a group of broken, needy people that have been welcomed by the kindness and love and grace of God. And what that means for us is that we're concerned with the broken places on campus. We don't want RUF to be great. We want UT to be great. So we gather arms and kind of link arms and serve the needy in Knoxville. We have these community groups all over the fort and all over campus to serve the needs of UT. And if that resonates with you, you want to be a part of that or kind of join us in making UT awesome, then join us. That's what we're doing. That's what we want to see happen. <coughs> Last thought. <laughs> when I was in college, uh, I moved into the freshman dorms there at the University of Oklahoma. And kind of like some of the dorms are set up here, there was, we had a suite mate and then and I knew my suite mates, I knew my roommate, and I didn't know the guy on the other, the, other, the other room, though, that we shared a wall with. And that dude played music loudly. This was 1999, and I still remember it. He played over and over the thong song <laughs> on repeat, volume level 15. And because I was, you know, 18, and I didn't know how to do conflict, and I didn't know how to, like, talk to other people, uh... I did what any immature, passive-aggressive 18-year-old would do, was me and my buddy went and got a, um, one of those waist-high metal trash cans and filled it with water. And the way that the dorms worked back then is that uh, the doors opened on the inside. And so what we did was we, while the door was closed and we knew who was in there because he was bumping the thong song, we propped the trash can up against the door. And then I knocked on the door with my friend and ran into our room and closed the door and locked it and waited. And what we heard was the door opening, the trash can banging to the ground and this whoosh of water running into his dorm room. Then we heard him grab the trash can, throw it down the hall and heard very loud F-bombs over and over and over. And we were terrified because this guy was much bigger than me and could have literally crushed me. But the reason I want to end with that way is, is oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. He had to rip up. <laughs> we, we, oh, this is an awful story, by the way. I do not endorse this behavior. This is a story. Of, this is a confession story. You can pray for me. Um, he had to, he had to up, you know, pull up all of his carpet. We ruined all of his carpet. Um, he did stop playing the song, though, so somehow the message, the message got through. 
But I, I want to I want to leave you with that image of here's this this water flooding in and rearranging and changing everything. Because what we really do want to see happen in your life and in mine is for the grace of God to flood in in such a way that it, it uproots and rearranges and changes everything about our lives. That we really are freed from our struggles and our addictions. We're, we're healed of our shame and our anxiety. Uh, we're, we're given people that understand us and understand what we struggle with and have a place where we can belong. That's who we are. That's what we do. And that's what we want to see happen. We would love to see you come back and join us if any of that resonates with you at all. So consider that an invitation. Let me pray. Father, there are folks in this room that may leave and never come back. And I would ask uh, for your blessing to be upon them. That as they go through uh, this experience at UT, that, this, that they would find a home where people could care for them and, and meet them with patience and grace and um, I pray for the folks in this room that decide to stick around and kind of see what we're about, that you would uh, begin to even heal all of us, that um, we would all find you more beautiful, more believable, that Jesus would be sweeter and more precious to us as a result of our being together here in RUF. Use this group of uh, broken people led by this broken man up front uh, to be a real source of blessing to this campus. We want UT to thrive and to flourish. We want Knoxville to be beautiful. Use us in whatever way you see fit. Work in us and through us and despite us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.